Good morning. You guys doing well? Good to have you with us this morning. Darren, could you shut and lock those doors? Let's bring out the Kool-Aid here this morning. Welcome to Desert Breeze Community Church. Uh, okay, hey. I wasn't planning, yeah, what flavor? Uh, I wasn't planning on saying that, but I just, uh, I thought it would probably be better if we could uh, lock the doors and you couldn't run here this morning. Good to have you with us. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Genesis chapter 32, Genesis first book of the Bible. Chapter 32, we'll be looking at verses 22 through 32. It'll take us a little bit to get there. Encounters with God is our current teaching series. The weekend's message is titled Wrestling. And so, uh, so far in this series, we've looked at hiding from God. That was week one, week two, last weekend, believing in God. And now we look at wrestling with God. And so, uh, let me just start off by saying that there's a major difference between wrestling against God and wrestling with God. And that's what this teaching is going to explain to us. We're going to be able to understand the difference because I, I can't help but think that maybe some of you are wrestling against God and not wrestling with God. Wrestling uh, against God wants nothing to do with God except for maybe as a means to an end. Wrestling with God is struggling to more fully embrace God and what he has for us. So there's certainly a difference between the two. This is what I found through the years as a, a Christian. Progress in the Christian life always seems to involve struggle and pain. I seem to make most of my progress in times of struggle and pain. How many would say by show of hands that that's where you've seen also struggle and pain, greater progress? And in fact, um, increased capacity for the presence of God. That's what we want. Hopefully that's why you're here. Increased capacity for the presence of God, like increased capacity to run a marathon or learn a foreign language, only gets stronger through the struggle and pain of exercise. Now, when I said the word exercise, is that a dirty word for you? Okay, some, some of you think exercise is kind of a dirty word, and, and those of you that are exercise enthusiasts as it relates physically, you love exercise, it's, you enjoy it. I, I certainly enjoy exercise, but maybe you don't, but, but you certainly need exercise as it relates to your spiritual life, but this is what I have found to be true, that there's no, no struggle and pain is too great if it brings me a greater capacity for the beauty and the glory of Jesus Christ. So whatever the struggle and pain is, whatever the exercise is, it is well worth it to get uh, and to increase your capacity to experience more of, of God and what he has for our lives. And so we're talking about wrestling with God here this morning, and uh, so we've got a, a bit of work to do. And so would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray, and we'll dive right into our text. God, we are delighted to be here today. Father God, you are merciful, gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. Your steadfast love is better, is better than life. And we are starving for your greatness and goodness. We are starving to learn what it means to uh, wrestle with you. Because we know with your greatness, no trial can overwhelm us. And with your goodness, no temptation can allure us. Show us wonderful things from your word and teach us really the difference between wrestling against you and wrestling with you to more fully embrace you and all that you have for our lives. We pray this for your glory, our deep and durable satisfaction. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, 
Amen. Take a look at this text. I, I need to, uh, anytime you read a text, you need to always know the context. It's always about, first of all, context. There's a historical, there's a literary, and there's cultural context. So I got to uh, build it a little bit, and I'm going to give you uh, biblical context and then, and then more of the historical, and then we'll look at the literary here in this. If you were to look at the storyline of the whole Bible, the panoramic view of the Bible, you need to know this. We tend to miss the forest for the trees, but the panoramic view of the Bible, it goes creation, fall, redemption, restoration. We could summarize all of the Bible in those four big words. Genesis 1 and 2, creation. Genesis 3, fall, crash and burn. Man rebelled against God. By the way, the reason why this, uh, this planet continues to be pretty jacked up, pretty messed up, is because man continues to rebel against God. And so you see the consequences of that rebellion all around us. But God could not bear the thought of that, and he enters into our pathetic plight with his presence. In Genesis 3.15, you saw the Proto-Evangelium, which was the first gospel message. And as we studied a couple weeks back, that's, the, um, that's where, he, where God said that the seed of the woman, so from her lineage, would come the Messiah, and the Messiah would crush the head of the serpent, though the serpent would uh, strike his heel. And so, of course, we have the cross in that. So we see the serpent striking the heel of Jesus, crucifixion, but then in the resurrection, we see him conquer death, hell, sin, the grave, everything that needs to be conquered. So you got creation, fall, restoration, or, uh, or redemption. Redemption is the third phase. So from Genesis 3 all the way to the end of the Bible up to Revelation, you've got, you've got redemption. You've got God's redemptive message. He's come to rescue us. The Bible is predominantly not about you, but about God and his redemption of you. Not about what you do, but about what he has done for you. And then uh, Revelation is the restoration. He's coming back a second time uh, to restore the heavens and the earth, new heavens and new earth. So that's, that's the kind of the panoramic view of, of the Bible. And so in that lineage, as we see and as we work through Genesis, we saw last week, Genesis chapter 15, we see Abram. So he calls Abram out. Two chapters before that, chapter 12 of Genesis, we see him calling him from among his ungodly family. And he says to Abram, God, I, God says to Abram, he says, I want, uh, I want you to be blessed. I'm going to bless you to be a blessing to the world. In other words, from you will come the Messiah. I want to give you a, a lineage and a land. And as we said, uh, that this lineage and land is equivalent, the New Testament equivalent for this lineage and land is fruitfulness and fulfillment. The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy, John 10, 10, but I have come that you might have life and have it to the fullest. So fruitfulness, God wants you to have a fruitful life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's just one aspect of that fruitfulness. But also you'd live your life in such a way that people would go, wow, I, I want what you have. I want the connection you have with God so that you would impact their lives. That's fruitfulness. But the fulfillment, the land, is milk and honey, and what that is is that there's a satisfaction, there's a fulfillment that's found in Jesus that cannot be found in any amount of money or any kind of relationship or any job promotion or there's nothing in creation that can come close uh, to the satisfaction you can find in the creator. That's, so you got, this, you got this fruitfulness and fulfillment and 
And you're saying, okay, Pastor Ray, where are we going with this? Because aren't you going to go to the text? Yes, I am in just a minute, but we're, we're, we're headed there, and we'll get there in just a minute. And then, so as we study through Genesis, there are three primary patriarchs, not just in Genesis, but you see this throughout the scripture. And the first one is Abraham. The second one is who? Oh, my goodness, that, that silence was, was deafening. And some of you are probably just afraid to answer that because you've, you've seen where I, where I get onto you if you get the wrong answer. How many were just, just afraid to answer that and probably know the answer? But so you got Abraham, you got three patriarchs. Abraham, yes, yeah, it, you, got, you guys knew that. You guys knew that, didn't you? How many knew that? At least you do now. Go ahead and raise your hand. Okay. Abraham, Isaac, and then who's the third one? Jacob. So you got this fabulous story. The story of God is he's, he's called out a people that says, I'm going to bless you, not because you have it all together, but you don't, but I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to work in your life in such a way that your life will be a blessing, and through you will come the Messiah. So you got lineage and land, and uh, so you got Abraham, Isaac, and then Isaac had uh, twin boys, and one was Jacob. What was the other one's name? Esau, yeah. And Esau was the firstborn. And, and based on culture, primogeniture, it was appropriate for them to bless, to give the birthright and the blessing to Esau. But God shows up and says, no, I don't want that to happen. This is going to be completely different because you're going to see that it's my, it's my work. It's my call. You're going to bless Jacob. Isaac didn't like that. So you got Abraham, Isaac, the dad, didn't like that. It's kind of pushing against it. And, uh, and so Jacob kind of knows this, mom kind of knows this, and uh, he starts kind of manipulating and controlling the situation. And, and in fact, if we were to look at these, the lives of these two, so you got Abraham, Isaac, and Isaac had twins, Esau, Jacob. Esau is favored by his dad. This is part of the story, by the way, you need to know this. He's favored by dad. He's kind of a man's man, outdoorsman, impetuous, angry. Shallow. He's a man's man, okay? <laughs> He's very shallow relationally. He's very ungodly. But Jacob, Jacob is uh, favored by mom, kind of mama's boy. I mean, he just loves cooking and cutting coupons. <laughs> I mean, he's just hanging out at home. I don't want to go out. I'm going to do any hunting and fishing. That's, that's Jacob. He's a little more sensitive to God. He's more, a little bit godly, but he has a long ways to go. He's, uh, he's kind of impatient with God, takes matters into his own hands, so he manipulates, controls his dad and brother. Remember the story how he dresses up like his brother to come in and to kind of rip off his brother of the birthright and the blessing? And, uh, and his brother finds out, and his brother is homicidal. I mean, he's ticked off. He's going to kill it. He's going to kill his brother Jacob. And so mom says, you need, to, you need to get out of town, dude. And so you need to flee. And so guess where Jacob flees? He flees to where? Anybody know? Uncle Laban. He goes to Uncle Laban's. And while he's there for 20 years, God blesses him unbelievably. And he's been there for 20 years. Finally, God shows up and says, hey, you need to go back home because I'm going to give you that land that I promised you. And so he's coming back home. And lo and behold, guess who he has to face? His homicidal brother. I mean, he's like, oh my goodness. And so in the story, 
right here that we're about ready to read. See, that's a little bit, I just gave you a little bit of the, the background, historical, the, the literary, the biblical context, uh, cultural context. I'll give you more of that as we work through that, and then also literary context. If you have your Bibles open, look at uh, chapter 32, verse 6. And the messengers returned to Jacob. So he's, he's heading back home to get the, the land of promise and... Uh, He's going to have to face his brother. And the messengers returned to Jacob saying, we came to your brother Esau and he is coming to meet you and there are 400 men with him. Oh no. Look at his response, verse seven. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. That's an understatement. He's wetting all over himself. I mean, He's like, this is the dude that was wanting to kill me, and now he, God told me to go back to, to get the land, and I've got to face him. And so this is what he does. He's a chicken. He's a manipulator. I mean, constantly calculating to see what he can do, and this is what he does. He splits up, so he's got quite the entourage. He's got quite the, the posse here. He's got a lot of resources, and so he begins to divide up his, his band, his group, into different groups, and he sends them out in front of him to kind of be as a buffer, and with them, he gives and just showers his brother with all kinds of gifts. Just all kinds of gifts to kiss up, to suck up, to whatever you want to call it. Just so maybe this dude won't hurt me when I see him. But it's, it's kind of interesting. And what you're going to see a major transformation take place in his life. It's almost like your life for mine. So you guys go ahead and maybe you can be, be a, somewhat of a buffer for me. And... Uh, so he's done this, he sent out these groups ahead of himself, and then we come to the story in verse 22 of chapter 32 of Genesis. The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, his 11 children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. Notice this, he, so he took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. So he's just like, he's continuing to create a buffer zone. He's back behind everybody, even his wives. He's pushed them out in front. And, uh, and Jacob was alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. Um, just stop there just for a minute. Uh, I wrestled in high school for a couple years, and I'm still trying to figure this out. I don't remember how long those wrestling matches lasted. I think they were like two minutes, three, two minutes, two, two minutes for three, three were the three, so six minutes. I think college is a little bit more than that. My wife was a mat girl. And anybody know what that is? Okay, mat girl, and I, was, I wrestled, and so. And we would, so we would wrestle two minutes, you know, three of those, six minutes. I was so exhausted after that six minutes, they had to drag me off the mat. Any, any wrestlers here in the house? Anybody wrestle? Okay, yeah. Um, this was real wrestling, none of that goofy wrestling where they, you know, but this is the real stuff. And so they, when we read this, they wrestled all night long. He's going to wake up more exhausted. At least that's what's going to seem. Now let's continue to read out the story. It's interesting also, by the way, uh, the Hebrew writers use such economy in their writing that every little detail really has a lot of impact and a lot of meaning. So as we read through this, so, so he's wrestling this man but we know who the man is if we've read the rest of the story. This is God, but he just kind of knows him as a man. And when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. And, and, and literally, that's what it means. He just touched it. He didn't, like, pop it, 
or slam him on the ground and pop it out. He's just like, boop. Oh, here. There it is. So you're kind of getting a little bit of a hint. This guy's much more powerful. He's holding back. The power of this man that he's wrestling, he's just holding back because he just popped his, his hip right out of socket. Then he said, you're going to see this major transition begin to take place within Jacob because he really goes in this story from wrestling against God to wrestling with God. Then he said, let me go for the day has broken. This is God. This is the man. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he goes to fighting him, to embracing him, clinging to him. This is pretty significant. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. So there's this really identity change that begins to take place. And he says, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. That's a pretty significant statement. Face to face. It goes from being a man to this was God. I've been wrestling with God. And notice uh, the verse 31, Hebrew idiom, the sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. The, the idea of the sun rising here is that life never looked brighter. And yet he's, he's got some pain. He's going to limp the rest of his life because of this encounter. And yet the future never looked brighter as a result of his encounter with God. And then verse 32 He says, therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. Isn't that kind of peculiar? We'll go back and talk about that in a little bit. This is the word of the Lord to us this morning. So here's where we're headed with the study. First of all, why would you uh, wrestle with God? And then what happens when you wrestle with God? Those are the two uh, questions we're looking at this morning. The second one is gonna answer for us uh, really, here's where Jacob goes from knowing about God to knowing God. And so they'll answer for us, do you just know about God or do you really know God? So that'll answer that for us. But first, let's talk about why would you wrestle with God? Now, there's no shortage of biblical examples of wrestling with God. I laid them out there for you. You can study those on your own through your growing notes. Let me just kind of highlight them very briefly here. Genesis 18, 16 through 33, you got Abraham wrestling with God over Sodom and Gomorrah. Exodus 33, you got Moses wrestling with God over Israel. Remember Israel, when, he came, when Moses came off the mountain, Mount Sinai, and uh, what, were, what was Israel doing? They were building a golden calf. God says, I'm going to kill them all. I'm going to wipe them out. And so, uh, so Moses says, no, don't do that. And so he's wrestling with God over that. And then you got the life of Job. By the way, you, uh, you want to come back next week. We're going to talk about uh, this idea of suffering. Where's God in our suffering? And we're going to look at the life of Job. Then you got Psalms, the whole book of Psalms is about wrestling. You got Matthew 15, 21 through 28, the faith of the Canaanite woman wrestling with uh, Jesus and the disciples over blessing. You got Luke 18, 1 through 8, uh, the woman before the unjust judge. And, and Jesus starts that by saying, always persevere in prayer. So there's this kind of wrestling he's saying that we have to do in prayer. Don't give up, don't stop. And then we've got Colossians 4:12. This is just a, a short list. 
of the different places in the Bible of wrestling. Colossians 4.12, Paul says, Ephaphras uh, is wrestling in prayer for you. So I find that quite interesting. Why would you wrestle with God? Let me give you six reasons. Number one, you would wrestle with God for the souls of lost loved ones. You'd wrestle with God for the souls of lost loved ones. I cannot hardly bear the thought of any of my loved ones. I have relatives and I have close friends that do not know Jesus and I know, I know that they will spend an eternity separated from God. And I can't bear the thought of that and it puts me on my knees and I wrestle with God and I plead with God. I plead with God for, for those loved ones. And so that's why you'd wrestle with God. You go to war. You go to bat for him. Here's another reason for making difficult decisions. How many have had those sleepless nights and because you had a big decision in the morning or you have a big decision coming up? Show of hands. Show of hands. That you just, you're just wrestling. You're wrestling. You're going back and forth, man. You carry it throughout the day. You don't get much sleep that night. That's why you would wrestle with God. Number three, why would you wrestle with God for overcoming personal sins and past hurts? I've wrestled with God for a number of years. I've, I've certainly seen some progress in this by God's grace, but I've struggled with workaholism, uh, perfectionism, people-pleasing, all these things that just, uh, that's my addiction. And so I've wrestled with God over those issues. What's your issue? Everybody has issues. So what are you wrestling with God over to, to be able to overcome Every one of us has issues, and, and, and also not just personal sins, but past hurts. Have you ever been hurt so bad that, uh, that, man, you can't shake that hurt? It just keeps coming back, and, and it haunts you, it harasses you, it just hassles you. And there's so much maybe guilt and shame and just, ah, oh, and you can see how it affects, and it, and it will. It affects your current relationships because trust was violated, therefore you have a hard time trusting others and especially you have a hard time trusting God. Listen, you better wrestle with that because it will, it'll mess up your relationship with others and also God. And not only that, it'll create bitterness in your heart that will poison you and defile many that are within your circle of influence. And I want you to know this, you need to understand this, is that God's grace is sufficient regardless of what's going down in our life. Sufficient for the sins we've committed but also the sins that have been committed against us. His grace is more than enough to bring freedom to our lives. But there's a wrestling that has, that has to go on with, I'm gonna wrestle with my Bible there just for a minute, rip a couple pages out. But you, there's a wrestling that, that has to go in, in our, on our lives as it relates to that. And then here's number four. Uh, for, a, for a greater sense of the presence of God. So you wrestle for a greater sense of the presence of God. Once you fill in the blank, look up here. You gotta get this. You've heard me say this before. Once you've tasted, once you've tasted the presence of God, his absence is unbearable. And it's not that he goes anywhere, it's just that we tend to, in our crazy busy life, lose a sense of his presence in our life. And there are seasons in my life I'm wrestling, oh God, as it says in Psalm 42, what did he say? He says, as the deer pants for the streams of water, how my soul longs for you, O God. Oh God, and that's what, if you read the context, that he doesn't have that sense of the presence of God. And in that, in that context, and also in that verse, and those verses are in that chapter, he says, um, 
He says, why are you downcast, oh my soul? Come on, put your hope in God. So he's working on his heart. He's wrestling. He's wrestling with God to get that sense of the presence of God. And then number five, for greater understanding of God's word. Why would you wrestle with God for greater understanding of God's word? Oftentimes people will say, man, Pastor Ray, how do you come up with these, these truths? It seems so easy for you. No, it isn't. It's not easy in the, in the least bit. You have no idea how many hours of wrestling with God's word before I get up here and share my heart. Fortunately, I'm privileged to have, uh, because of the way our, the structure of our church is set up, they give me, usually I start on Sunday afternoon and then I spend all my day on Monday just wrestling over the text. And I, I'll be honest, sometimes I'll look at a, you know, this section of scripture and go, what in the world is that saying? I have no idea. It's like, my goodness, what, God, what do you, and I wrestle with it, and I wrestle with it, and I break it down, and I look at it, and I plead with God, and I say, God, what is this saying? And I study, and I, I read this, and listen to that, and, and so there's this wrestling that's going on, so that by the time Sunday comes around, I'm able to serve up a meal, you know, a banquet for you, by God's grace, but there's a lot of wrestling that goes on, and then number six, for narrowing the gospel gap, that's why we want to wrestle. You guys know what the gospel gap is? Here's the gospel gap. Skippity-doo-dah, skippity-day, you're having a really great day. Praising God, got praise music on. Maybe you're listening to the Bible, you know, on your CD player or whatever, on your phone, and then someone pulls out in front of you, and you're, ah! You go off, and then you realize, wait a minute there. There's a little bit of a gap between my spirituality and my reality. That's the gospel gap. There's a, there's a gap between what you believe and how you behave. Yeah. Yeah, you, when, when you, you feel the sting of rejection from, from a coworker, and it's not just a sting, it devastates you, and then you go, wait a minute, he's lavished his love upon me, I'm his child, and obviously the reality of that isn't more glorious than the acceptance of the people that I work with because it's rocking my world more than it should. That's a gospel gap. And there are times in my life when I feel like my life is being rocked by one thing or another, and I realize, wait a minute, I'm a child of God. He has lavished his love upon me. I'm not living in the reality of that. And so you wrestle, you wrestle that deep within your heart. And so maybe you could add to this list. There's plenty more that you could add to this list. So that's, why would you wrestle with God? Now let's get to the, probably the more important aspect of this is what happens when you wrestle with God. And like I said, here's where Jacob goes from knowing about God to knowing God. Number one, you realize you must wrestle God alone, personally. Did you notice in verse 24 of our text, and Jacob was left alone. It is, it is possible to be caught up in the movement or the excitement of others' experiences with God and not meet God yourself. One of the issues that I find uh, that happens here at Desert Breeze, you hang out with us long enough, there's a sense of, there's a kind of a buzz, there's a sense of excitement, there's an enthusiasm, and particularly if you come back in a couple of weeks when we do our baptism party right here, I mean, we celebrate, we'll blow the roof off of this place. Because it's just, it's exciting. And so you'll see people getting baptized. It's exciting to see life change. And yet you can see all that, experience it through others, other people's lives. And yet you yourself have never connected with God. You've never had an encounter with God. 
And I see this primarily when people have to move away from, from Desert Breeze and, and maybe they're, they're, they have to go to another state, another city because of work or whatever reason. And I hear people say this, we just can't find a church quite like Desert Breeze. And I respond by saying, of course. I'm kidding. I mean, it's just, yeah, we, we are unique. It's different. But here's the problem. The deeper issue isn't that you find a church like Desert Breeze. Have you had an impersonal encounter with God? Are you just living off the experiences of everybody else at Desert Breeze? Or do you really know God personally, individually? Because if you have, and by the way, oftentimes when I hear people say, I can't find a church quite like Desert Breeze, they never do get connected, and eventually they're drifting. They're drifting away from God. I see it happen all the time. And so your best safeguard is for you to encounter him, for you to know him. And yes, you will find another church, maybe not quite like Desert Breeze, but it'll be the church that you need to be a part of where you can be ministered to and you can also minister to others. And that's important. So you realize you must wrestle God alone personally. Here's the next one. Number two, you realize you've been fighting God all along. Almost sounds like the first one, doesn't it? You realize you must wrestle God alone personally, but you realize you've been fighting God all along. Jacob's life has been a life of struggle. I gave you a little bit of his struggle there on your notes, sermon notes. Number one, with his brother Esau, chapters 25 and 27 in Genesis. With his father, chapter 27. With his father-in-law, Laban, chapters 29 to 31. With his wives, Wives, you hear a problem with that? <laughs> Wives, plural? No kidding, he's struggling. <laughs> One's a struggle. How many, how many guys out there would agree with that? Be careful, raise the other arm. You can get your rib popped out. Okay? Yeah, women, you'd say the same thing, wouldn't you? One man, plenty. By the way, let me just say something about this idea of wives. This is not prescriptive. This is descriptive. You guys know the difference? So it's not saying, hey, it's okay to have wives, as some would believe and have practiced. And then they got a prophecy that said, no longer doing that. And it's like, what the heck? It never did say that. Because if you read back in Genesis chapter 2, it said a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, singular, not wives. So it was already set. That's how it was supposed to be lived out. So, okay, I just thought I'd throw that out there. Sorry. So he has problems with his wives, chapter 30. And now he's facing his homicidal brother, Esau. Now, Jacob thinks his biggest problem is his brother Esau. You think your biggest problem is that if you could just get married, and I'd like to have you talk with those that are married, and they would help to change that for you. Seriously. And so it's those, there's those of you that are married that say, yeah, my biggest problem is my marriage. You think that's your biggest problem. That's not your biggest problem. Those of you that maybe don't have kids and want to have kids, you think that's your biggest problem. Just talk to those that do have kids. That's... And maybe you think your biggest problem is just, man, if I can just get these kids out of the, out of the home, if I can get them grown and gone, 
You think that's your biggest problem? Or you maybe think your biggest problem is your, your job or lack of job or, or your boss. Oh my goodness, he's a pain. He's on my tail all the time. You think that's your biggest problem? I'm not minimizing those as problems. Yes, those indeed can be problems, but here's your biggest problem. Your big, biggest problem, and Jacob thinks that his biggest problem is his brother Esau. But here's our biggest problem. Life doesn't put us in conflict with people, things, and circumstances as much as it puts us in conflict with with our own sinful nature and our inability to trust God. And could it be, could it be, I believe so, that God has placed you in those circumstances by divine design because he's trying to do a deep work in you that otherwise will never happen. And you're praying and pleading with God for circumstance enhancement. He's saying, wait, I've got something that's big for you, that's great for you, but you're missing it. You're missing it, and, and, and so God uses our circumstances, and there's nothing wrong with praying for new jobs and, and you know, circumstances changing a bit, but maybe God is using that. Yes, I, I believe he is. To, to teach us to trust him, to rely on him. The real problem is that you and I don't trust God and therefore we've been fighting him and his will for our life. Turn to the person next to you and see if they know the answer to this question. What does a person who is trusting God look like in their life regardless of the circumstances? What would be some of the characteristics of that person's life? Real quick, ask the people next to you. You guys coming up with some good, good answers? Good answers of uh, what does it look like? What does it look like when someone's truly trusting? Here's what I put down. I put down an abiding attitude of contentment and gratitude is evidence of one who trusts God. Now, I'm not minimizing the issues we go through, and certainly there's a, there's a measure of suffering, there's a measure of grieving, you certainly have to grieve, but in the midst of that grieving, there's a sense of, of contentment because you know that your life is ultimately in God's hands, and he's navigating, and he's working in your life in spite of what's going on around you. And also, there's gratitude because of that. See, ingratitude, griping, complaining, is evidence of a failure to trust God. Ooh, that hurt. And also a lack of contentment, always thinking that if I just had this, if I could just land that, if I could just whatever, you could fill in the blank, that things would be better. No, things can be better right now if you begin to learn to trust in God and allow God to reveal himself to you right in the middle, right in the middle of your circumstances. Here's number three. So you realize God has to wound you to show you his grace. So what happens when you wrestle with God? You realize that God has to wound you to show you his grace. Did you notice verse 25? He just touched his hip and it popped out of socket. How many of you have ever had any uh, body parts, I guess you could say that, pop out of socket, pop out of socket, anything out of socket? Uh, okay, it, it, was, that, was that fun? Extremely painful. Uh, the only thing I've had pop out of socket was my middle finger, and I'll be really careful about uh, showing this to you, but it was... Uh, but I, uh, I had this thing pop out of socket, and it was when uh, I had grandkids over, and they wanted to do the slip and slide, so I put the slip and slide out in the backyard, and I, I lectured them and said, hey, let make sure now we got this thing's really slick, and you don't want to go up and walk on it, because you'll, you know, you'll slip on it, and it'll hurt you. 
And so what you want to do is you want to get back here and run real hard and then jump on it just before you get on the slip and slide and jump on it. You'll slide. And they were doing it, man. They were doing it great. And I was watching them and I thought, wow, that looks like a lot of fun. (laughs) And I forgot that I'm ancient. I mean, like, I think I was like 55 or 56 in. I'm 57 now. And I I forgot how old I am. And I thought, yeah, Grandpa. Grandpa can do that. Yeah, yeah. Grandpa gets back there and starts running. And uh, I did exactly what I told them not to do. <laughs> I stepped out on the end of that uh, slip and slide when I should have been sliding. I stepped out on like this way. I was like an elephant on roller skates. I mean, <laughs> I mean, man, I came back. I slipped back like this. I went, Whoo! tried to catch myself, came back, landed so hard, it popped this finger completely out of socket. It was like this. It was sticking out like this, and I go, and it hurt. I mean, it hurt like crazy. And I pulled that thing up, and I go, oh, oh, crap. That's what I said. And I'm thinking, oh, I'm going to have to go to the ER now. And I grabbed it and put it back in place. No, I'm not. And uh, oh, my goodness, that thing hurt. Do you think Grandpa went on a slip and slide anymore? That pretty much ended that fun. But here's the worst part of it. My grandson came over and lectured me. <laughs> he came over and said, Grandpa, uh, slip and slides are not for grandpas. <laughs> grandpas get hurt. They're just for little kids. Okay, thank you. Get out of here. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That was extremely painful. He's got a hip socket out. That's extremely painful. And yet in the midst of the pain, he's able to, there's something that transcends, transcends the pain. Here's what I found is that, uh, by the way, you're going to have pain. And God doesn't have to bring pain into your life. It's going to happen. Because what we typically do is we tend to build our lives on a foundation way too small for our lives. So anytime you start building your life on anything in creation as opposed to the creator, it's just a matter of time. You're going to experience some pain and loss and difficulty. And so God just waits and uses those things in our life to bring our hearts back to him. God almost always has to break us in order to bless us. God has to wrestle us into a transformed life rather than to comfort us into a transformed life. How many have found greater transformation has taken place in your life due to pain and suffering as opposed to any other time in your life? Yeah, I think mean, it's just, just part of it. C.S. Lewis puts it this way, God whispers to us in our pleasure but shouts to us in our pain. Don't miss next week because we're gonna talk more about this as it relates to Job. God becomes out of love the enemy of our old self, the self that's built that's not built on God and brings us into weakness so that uh, we can wake up and begin to grow this, this brand new self. In fact, here's what's interesting. Look at verses 28 and 29 of our text. There's an identity change. Jacob goes from, his name means wrestler, heel catcher, supplanter, layer of snares, manipulator. You know, he's just, he's scheming. He's a schemer. He's taking things into his own hands to the name Israel, which means strives with God, soldier of God, contender, just learning to trust and rest in God. And what's interesting about this story too is you see actually Jacob, he goes from your life for mine, your life for mine, here, here. You go ahead of me, maybe he will, you know, if you get killed then maybe I can run. And I'll see that. 
But he goes from this, your life for mine, to my life for yours. And, and that's what happens to someone that's truly encountered God because they become so filled up with the beauty and the glory of God that uh, they're, they're less self-focused and self-centered. There's an interesting, uh, I've got a book up here. It's uh, by Larry Crabb and Dr. Larry Crabb. It's called Moving Through... Uh, your problems toward finding God. And the front of the book is dedicated to, uh, in memory of Dr. Charles Smith, this is what he says, a mentor who prayed for his cancer to return if it would bring him closer to God. And in his last year, he found God in a measure he had never known before. And then he died of cancer. I mean, in other words, what he's, what he's saying here is that bring anything into my life or take anything away from my life if it increases my capacity for your presence. As long as I have you, that's enough. Now, if, that, if you think uh, that's crazy, why, why would anybody pray that? It only proves that you don't know the reality of seeing God face to face as Jacob did here. Anyone who has tasted the reality of God's presence knows anything is worth losing and nothing is worth keeping if it brings me increased capacity for the presence of God. I mean, that, that frightens me when I think about that. But when you follow Jesus, in essence, that's what you're saying. And I need you to, need you to know that if you feel inadequate to live up to that, you should. Because his grace is sufficient and will be supplied as we need it. You see, uh, Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, he was praying because of the thorn in his flesh, and God responded to him by saying, my grace is sufficient, my power is made perfect in weakness. So my question for you is, do you know him well enough for him to be all you need? Do you know him well enough for him to be all you need? That's my heart's desire for me and you. Here's the next one. It takes us to the next point. Next point. You realize that only, the only thing you really need is God. So Jacob goes from knowing about God to knowing God. He goes from using God to wanting God, from God just being a part of his life to being his, his whole life. And it's interesting that in the beginning he's fighting this man off, but at the end he's holding on to him. Did you notice that? So he's like fighting this guy, and then at the very end, he's clinging to him. Don't go. Bless me. See, that's what happens when you begin to encounter God. You go from wanting to use God to, God, I need you. I'm desperate for you. And, uh, and, and in essence, so, so in essence, this is what Jacob is saying. Here's the approval. In you, God, is the approval I was looking for and the approval I wanted from my father. Here's the beauty I was looking for and the beauty I wanted in my wife, Rachel. I have seen the face of God. And here's an interesting point, is that once you've seen his face, there's nobody else's face you're afraid of anymore. Remember, he's fearful to, to face Esau. No more. No more, because he has seen the face of God. See, he got to the deeper issue of his life. He needed to see God. And now he's able to face Esau. Here's number five. You realize that by losing you win. You realize by losing, you win. 
Verses 31 and 32. So remember I said that this sun rose upon him. Life never looked better. And, and you find this interesting in the last verse of this chapter. Therefore to this day the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket. What, what is that about? That, what they're saying is that's very sacred. And here's, here's the point. See if you can get this. That I know that some of you have been so rescued from past hurts and sin that you now can look back on the issues of your life and the pain in your life, even the, the, the abuse that maybe you've received and say, well, that was a sacred time because God met me in that moment, in that time, that my disappointments were God's appointments with me. And that is very sacred. And I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy and yet I wouldn't trade it for anything because I have a depth in my relationship with God that is, I can't even put words to it. I can't even explain it, but I, I love it and it's wonderful. That's what's going on. That's why they would say, hey, this is sacred. His, his joint was popped out. That's painful. Yeah, but it's sacred. It's sacred. He encountered God in that. So you realize that by losing, you win. If dependence on Christ is the goal, then, weak, uh, then weakness is strength. If dependence on Christ is the goal, then the more weak you are, the more stronger you're going to be because you're going to be relying on him. The more we see our human sinfulness and weakness, the more grace is amazing. And I finish with the statement I started with, no pain, no pain is, is too great to endure if it brings us greater capacity to experience the beauty and the glory of Christ. Now keep your Bibles open. There's a couple of verses I just want us to meditate on and then we're finished up here for this study. But look at verse 25 once again because it gives us glimpses of the gospel. Let me just see if I can unpack this for you. Verse 25, when the man saw that he could not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket. He couldn't prevail against Jacob. This is God. This is God who could have wiped him out. But if he won, that is God, by wiping him out, he would have lost, but because he lost, he, he won. I see this is pointing to the ultimate place where God won through losing the cross. He could have come with judgment and wiped us all out, but he didn't. He came to bear judgment. So he came in weakness. In his strength, Jesus became weak so that in my weakness, I can become strong. For you know the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor so that through his poverty we might become rich. So you get a glimpse of this. By the way, this is kind of a Christophany, really. This is really revealing to us Jesus. So he didn't come bearing all of his weight. He just does enough in our life to awaken us to the reality of our need for him. He could wipe us out. We deserve it. And yet he chooses not to. And he took our sin and suffering to bring us to the Father. Here's the next point, verse 30. It says, I have seen God face to face and yet my life has been delivered. Why would he say that? My life has been delivered. Because um, a couple different reasons, and by the way, this is called the beatific vision. Uh, many theologians call it. It's from three Latin words that means a happy making sight. Randy Alcorn from his book Heaven says, to see God's face is the loftiest of aspirations. That's why in Psalm 27, when David's running the full spectrum of issues that he's facing, armies surrounding him, or even my own family betrays me, if I have this one thing, you remember what the one thing he was saying? That if he had, he could basically face anything to see the beauty and the glory. If I could gaze upon the beauty and the glory of God. That's what he's talking about here, the beatific vision. 
The theme of the whole Bible is the remedy to this great human dilemma. How can an unholy, sinful mankind have a relationship with a holy, righteous God? Exodus 33.20 says no one can see God and live. And in fact, we know as we study and those that have put their faith in Jesus in heaven, we will see him face to face, 1 Corinthians 13.12. And when we see him face to face, which will be amazing, we will likely wonder if we ever lived before we saw his face. So here's what God does. He, he doesn't condone our sin, nor does he compromise his standard. But in his love, he assumes our sin. He sentences himself, paying our sin debt in full. That's the gospel message. And so God does what we cannot do so that we can be what we only dreamed of being, perfect before the face of God, beholding his beauty and glory. And you may say, well, how do we do that today? Through Jesus. Listen to this verse. It's a verse I've been meditating on here recently. It's a wonderful verse. 2 Corinthians 4 6 For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. And so as we study God's word, particularly the Gospels, we are coming face to face with Jesus. In fact, I believe that we have a better understanding of who Jesus is than even the disciples who were with Jesus for three years because we have it right here written down for us as we can encounter him through his word. Pretty amazing. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this message. And I pray that we would, we would encounter you through the study of your word. God, I pray that as we wrestle, not against you, but with you for the souls of lost loved ones, for the making of difficult decisions, for overcoming personal sins and past hurts and getting a greater sense of your presence and a greater understanding of your word and narrowing the gap, this gospel gap that exists in our lives. Lord, be with us. Help us to see that we need to wrestle with you alone personally and that all of our issues are really rooted deep within you and a failure to trust you. And so God, use the, the wounds and the and, and even the, the breaking that sometimes has to take place in our life to bring unbelievable blessing of, of knowing you. And may we realize, really, the only thing we need is, is you. God, let us see your face more clearly. Let us savor you uh, more satisfyingly so that we can show you to this lost and dying world through our lives. Thank you, God, that through losing, when we surrender to you, we win. And life never looks more brighter than when we are fully committed to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me? Let me give you a blessing. It's only appropriate that I would give you this blessing as it relates to seeing the face of God. You guys are familiar with this. Here we go. Everybody look up here. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. God bless you.